0: I am going to spend at least as much time praying for my sermon ahead of time as what I believe it will take me to preach that sermon.
1: You're listening to The Holy Joys Podcast, a discussion of theology and ministry practice, all for a holy, happy church. I hear so many preachers make jokes about something that comes up, and and uh, like a little maxim or a little clever saying, and they say, "Oh, that'll preach," you know, "that'll preach," and it, it's this this idea that we're kind of always look, we're, we're kind of scrounging for the next thing because we got to preach these sermons all the time. Uh, and if, and if we don't prioritize study and Mac, Matthew Wilcoxon says, and especially if you don't either make time for it or especially make it the first thing in your day, it's very likely you're going to be running on empty. Your preaching is not going to be fresh. You are going to stop learning. And so it's, it's just going to get old and, uh, and, and people are going to lose a heart for the word. You know, I, I, I really do think that that a, a pastor who's immersed in study and always learning something fresh and, and exciting to share, because the knowledge of God is exciting, it, it can create a culture of expectation in the church. Because they know that when their pastor gets up there, he's prepared and he's going to share something. With them, and there's studies that show that the number one reason people go to church overwhelmingly, I think it's like seventy percent of people. I forget what study that was put out by, uh, maybe it was a Pew Research. But they're coming to learn more about the Bible. And so, um, you know, whatever else we think about John MacArthur. So <laughs> it, it does come to mind as someone who when he came, went to his church, he told them, if I'm going to pastor here, I need 30 hours a week to study. And he mentions how the board said they didn't understand that, but they really wanted him to come. And so they they let him do that. And years later, the responses were so glad that we we let you do that because we've seen the benefits for the church and if you think about the pastors that that have You know, big churches. Not that that's the goal, but you think about the the pastors that have these big churches that are well known. They're building it on their pulpit ministry, great sermons, great preaching. Not every pastor is going to be a great preacher like that, but there is this idea that to build a church, it's not going to be the preaching, it's going to be the programs, it's going to be all this other stuff that we get caught up in. And I actually think, no, maybe because we failed to provide people, you know, to to make to shape a learning community, to spend the time and study that's necessary to have. something substantive and rich and, and, and people want to learn the Bible and actually continuing to teach and really instruct. We've created, we've created this void that we're now trying to fill with other things. And sometimes maybe it works, but does it really lead to health in the Christian community?
0: Yeah. So let me go back to a comment that you made about John MacArthur uh, requesting or not requesting, but uh, saying to his new congregation that he wanted thirty hours a week of study and and right right now all the pastors out there uh, listening are thinking yeah what world are you from uh, that would happen and be, because we don't think of our pulpit ministry the way John MacArthur thought about thinks about his uh, pulpit ministry um, and and there are a lot of reasons why and uh, you know, one of the reasons I think is because we do live in a church culture in America that is very much given to get big, quick schemes. That is start programs, be performance uh, focused. Uh, you know, Pastor, you're the CEO that's trying to grow a congregation numerically. You're trying to grow your, your ego. You're trying to grow your leadership skills. You know, All of these things are thrown at us. And that's what we feel. We feel a lot of pressure to do that, well, first of all, we're always going to fail at those things. If that's our aim, uh, you will never be big enough. You will never uh, have enough programs. You will always and we'll view, view each other as as, as competition. Really, uh, we'll view other churches who are doing you know marketing better than we are, or graphic design better than we are, or are growing more quickly than we are as our competition. And so I think that's a recipe for disaster. And so for the pastor who's thinking, uh, you know, is out there saying, you know, I don't know what world you're living on, what planet you're from, to, to think that I can have 30 hours of, of study time. Uh, I, I want to challenge uh, all of us to, to, to begin rethinking in our own mind, recommitting ourselves to, uh, first of all, to pulpit ministry, to the, pr- the preaching ministry of the shepherd, Uh, Because Jesus gave Peter this task to feed my sheep. And then it was Peter then who wrote to us that we are to shepherd the flock. We are to to feed and to water our congregation with with the truth of God. And if we fail to do that as pastors, again, primarily through our pulpit ministry, uh, we're going to have congregations who are going to wither and die uh, spiritually uh, because they're not uh, feeding on the the meat of god's word and and so i think i think a discussion at this point on pulpit ministry is so important for understanding the pastor theologian
1: yeah. And I think of Ephesians four, you know, what does growth look like? What kind of growth are we after? And, uh, and, and we're told that, that God has given shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So we can have a congregation of 500 people, but are they mature Uh, or are they getting on Facebook and social media? And because they haven't been, been taught Solid food, solid doctrine they don't have their powers of discernment trained, and so they're they're easily influenced and The next pastor that comes in and teaches them maybe something totally different they're just going to go wherever they led, and you know they'll amen anyone at camp meeting if they're loud enough and charismatic enough um or are we actually focused on on really making mature Christ-like disciples who are doctrinally grounded, grounded in the knowledge of who God is and that they're living life out of that theological identity. Um, and so we see how important the speaking, you know, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Christ. Uh, there, there's really the ministry of the word is, is what brings the, the maturity to the people of God.
0: Yeah. So you you mentioned use the word mature. Are the are are we uh, ministering to a a congregation? I, I think I want to put it this way: Are they maturing? Are yeah, they growing? Are they, right. And if we as pastors are not growing, and by the way, you, you don't, we're not going to grow personally, spiritually, theologically by putting the minimum study time that we can right And giving attention to everything else to to squeeze out the time that we ought to be growing, so you know if i do um as my um, uh, physical therapist tells me I am supposed to be doing you know a certain number of push ups well you know if i if I decide well I think I'll do ten push ups a day well guess what i'm not gonna be that's really not gonna do much for me right um i mean i I actually can do ten push ups uh but I should be doing a lot more than that, and it's the same way. You know, mentally, spiritually, as pastors, uh, we have to be growing ourselves if we're going to expect our church people to be maturing in in Christ. And uh, and it's not the pastor's uh, role to be personally discipling everyone in their congregation. Uh, we 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 have to be training people within our congregation to be taking up those roles as under shepherds. uh, We being also an under shepherd under Christ, uh, but we have to train up some other elders to come alongside and to, and some deacons to uh, fulfill those uh, particular roles within the church uh, to free us up, to dedicate ourselves uh, as Acts six says to, to prayer and to the ministry of, of God's word. And so I think this begins with pastors uh, rethinking what we actually, how we actually spend our time, and doing so uh, with with an eye on what are we going to be doing in the pulpit this Sunday, and in Sundays to come. Uh, so our pulpit ministry preaching is is so important. And, and I want to mention this too, that uh, this kind of this kind of maturation and growth. Is quite opposed to that that get get uh, uh, big quick uh, scheme or or methods that are out there because this requires long, slow, steady growth. Right, and it doesn't guarantee us that we're going to go from a church of fifty to five hundred, you know, in in three or f- three to five years. It doesn't right. guarantee us that. But what it does guarantee is that we're going to be shepherding people who are growing and as they grow they in turn will also shepherd others yeah and and isn't that what we're longing for i mean it's certainly what i'm longing for I, I i want
1: people who are hungry for the word who who come together as a community that you know as acts 2 says is devoted to the apostles doctrine i'd rather have a smaller community that's really devoted and then out of that life of devotion you know people are added to our number rather than than a a lot of immaturity and trying to just add add to our number and you've used the illustration of of if you have like a a nursery full of babies in your church the last thing you want to do is go out and try to get more babies let's start raising up some spiritual parents and i think about how paul says to timothy you're supposed to commit these things that i've deposited to you to others that they may may be able to teach others commit these to faithful men so are we are we really investing in um in, in, in a conversation we had before, you you use this idea of in-reach versus outreach. And are we really focused in investing on equipping? We're we're doing job training in a sense. Um, we're equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, building them up, maturing them, or is our focus more on just building numerically?
0: Hmm. Right, right. Yes, because we, we live in a world where success is based on numbers, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, dollars or... You know, people in the in the pews, or some other way of measuring things numerically, Mm -hmm. quantitatively, rather than qualitatively, and it's not that numbers don't matter. So I don't want to be misunderstood. We don't want to be misunderstood on this point, but it is that it doesn't have to be an either or, and it's a different way of allowing. Uh, really uh, Christ to build his church through the spirit and through his people, uh, his way rather than our own way. There are a lot of innovative ways to, you know, increase numbers and, and really it doesn't take a lot of skill to do those sorts of things, but it does take dedication and study to, uh, to help people grow spiritually and to mature in their Christian faith. So uh, again, you know, as pastors, we cannot get sucked into uh, these this mentality of of being a a CEO who is tasked by our shareholders to to grow um, as quickly as we can, right. uh, in order to soothe our pride or to you know massage our ego and and that's not what this is about. In fact, uh, as a pastor. The truth that we speak and preach ought to be so powerful that people miss us, that they don't see us. Hmm. Uh, they are impacted by the truth, not by uh, the power or the persuasion necessarily of our ability, but by the truth itself. And, and and yes, we care about you know methodology. We care about being able to speak well. You know, we care about being uh, persuasive in our preaching, uh, but it is the truth itself that the Spirit will use to, uh, to convict and to guide and to, uh, to do what God's Word is meant to do in the hearts and lives of people. Yeah. And I don't know if
1: my experience is common to everyone, but as I think about the kind of pulpit ministry that we're describing, the, the training that I received on preaching, um, you know, the first I had two classes and the first was really on preaching methodologies. The second one was on like basically including or improving your your rhetorical skills. Um, but as I look at what that's produced. And I look at how it contributed to my own life and my preaching. I don't know how helpful it actually was because w- when I get up there to preach it- what I say has to be theologically grounded. And I think a lot of people don't even know how to study the Bible, aren't, aren't really spending the time necessary to study and, and really don't understand their theology very well. And so that's a recipe for disaster. If you have a people who don't know how to study a pastor that doesn't know how to, to, to week by week, fill, fill up and and then, and then go into the pulpit to deliver what he's learning but but yet you've taught him about a method, and you've taught him um, you know rhetorical skills, he's going to naturally fall back on charisma, he's going to fall back on you know shouting louder or trying harder and, and not really focused on substance and it's so easy to make up for substance with shouting or to, to make up for nuance with noise, you know, and just key and, and, and attract an audience. And you will draw people that way. There are some people who love that and you'll draw a certain crowd, but is it
0: actually ma- a mature group of people that you're developing and building? Right. Right. So there, there are a lot of, a lot of ways in which uh, preaching, especially, uh, you know, celebrity preaching and honestly, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of camp meeting preaching back through the you know, 19th century, early 20th century was, was uh, really centered around uh, an entertainment element, right? Mm-hmm. Let's draw people in. Yes. Now, and, and again, yeah. it's, it's not that we don't want to draw people in at all, that we should be dry and, and, you know, starchy in our presentation, Sure. Uh, but uh but again the the truth of God's word uh, is powerful in itself and uh so so as pastors uh, one of the things that we uh, we we need to do aside from you know uh you trying to refine our uh, preaching skills but we will be better pastor theologians when we persevere in the place of prayer, and when we are um, also persevering in our personal study of God's word, so I think a lot of those classes or those discussions of you know, how to be a better presenter, um, I, I hopefully they're just assuming that the pastor is being uh, diligent in their. Uh, daily study of God's word and they're reading God's word through uh, from front to back on a regular basis, that they're studying it, that they are uh, learning and growing in it. But that's not an assumption that I I think is actually safe to make because uh, many pastors do not read uh, the uh, scripture uh, through very often. And, uh, And I think that's, first of all, so I would tell a pastor uh, who's listening to this, wondering, okay, what's the takeaway? What do I need to be doing? Uh, I would say, first of all, in your uh, personal life, make sure that you are reading God's word. And if, if you're doing it daily, you can get through scripture actually quite quickly. Um, but read God's word. That, that is your primary uh, means for, uh, for knowing God and making him known to your people is, is knowing God through his word. That's number one. And then number two is, uh, s- spending time in prayer, uh, f- specifically for your pulpit ministry. Uh, I, I read a book a few years ago recommended by uh, Mark Cravens, I believe who, uh, and I read this and, and, and my, my takeaway was this, and I've tried to practice this, but my takeaway was I am going to spend at least as much time praying for my sermon ahead of time as what I believe it will take me to preach that sermon hmm. so if i preach a you know 30 40 minute sermon then i'm going to spend my my goal is to spend 40 45 minutes in prayer for that sermon wow now everyone doesn't have to do that but that's that's one of the takeaways of, of this book I don't remember the name of it, but it had to do with you know the spiritual preparedness of the pastor and, and the preacher. And and so I, I set that as a goal uh, because that's a, an important part of my own theological preparation for the pulpit ministry. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I think of uh, Gregory Nazianzus says that the first step or one of the first steps of, of theology is shaping or smoothing the theologian within. And so, you know, we see how keeping a close watch on your teaching goes hand in hand with keeping a close watch on yourself uh, and your prayer life and, and, and so forth. One, one comment I might make is uh, it is certainly important for for pastors to probably be reading the Bible more than what they do. I know your practice is to read it about every hundred days. And, and I think that's an, an excellent practice just some getting the big picture, but, but better reading habits, you know, if we're not equipped how to read the Bible, um, we're, we're going to have a tendency to skim until we find the verse that we're already familiar with, or that sticks out to us. And, and we have to know how to read the Bible. So investing in, um, in your, your, your hermeneutics, investing in your exegetical abilities, reading, um, you know, good commentaries making use of good commentaries. Um, and then making use of, of history, historical theology to read the Bible with the communion of the saints and and other pastors. And, and one of the things that I think could be helpful for a pastor is, you know, take, Take some sermon manuscripts from the past look at sermon manuscripts from John Wesley Jonathan Edwards look at how they're handling scripture and dealing with scripture look at the, the theological uh, um, breadth but also the depth that, that that is involved in their preaching and can you know compare that to co- the sermon manuscripts that we hear now if I took uh, if I took a uh, an average camp meeting sermon or even just an an average sermon from from one of the pulpits, uh, an average evangelical pulpit. And I compared them side by side. I think what we find is just there's not always a lot of substance. So I think we we have to, yes, be in the word more, but we're really going to have to learn how to even read the Bible because that that I think even isn't a given that reading the Bible well. And so that's not necessarily going to automatically transfer into better preaching. Um, So having an idea of what, where we want to be, and and what a, really what a good goal is is for for what a help what a strong, robust sermon looks like, and then what is it going to take in our
0: in our study and in our personal development to get there? Sure, and John John Wesley I think is a great example um, of someone who uh, incorporates you know current events, cultural uh, trends. Uh, even in his sermons, uh, he he will he doesn't give a lot of details, so we don't know you know everything that he's speaking of. But obviously, his audience did. But he would make reference, and he was constantly bouncing back and forth between the text of, of scripture and the and the and the context of culture. Uh, and I think he's a good example. And there there are many others, even some today, uh, who who do that. You know, John Piper is another example of someone who uh, frequently. Uh, addresses you know, his own congregation based on uh, you know what's happening in our world. We we've already talked about John MacArthur. Uh, both of them are, of course, are Reformed uh, theologians. Wesleyans have you know. I kind of I don't know if we've just shied away from that or or what we've done with with preaching. But for some reason, when you, today when you think of the strong pulpit ministries in America, um, you know it is. And I don't want to say sadly, because I'm glad they have strong pulpit sure, ministries sure. and they are our brothers, but sadly sad. <laughs> for Wesleyan, <laughs> yeah. uh, they're not Wesleyan right, and, right. and we need that. And, you know, I think as you were talking there, I think, you know, how many times have I walked away from a sermon and um, quickly forgot, you know, what really the, the, the core content was Mm-hmm. And and I think that happens frequently with people. But when we, uh, but if if we are purposeful about giving uh, our our congregations, our local congregations, uh, something that is clearly biblical but connects to their daily lives, uh, that's what we are supposed to be doing as pastoral theologians. And they may not remember the specifics of what you said, but their life will be, will be changed. It will be affected uh, when they're able to hear the truths of God, and then make those connections uh, under your ministry of, of how that works out in their particular life. Uh, that that is effective pulpit ministry
1: yeah and and to just pick up on the thought about john piper why is he so popular i mean he is extremely extremely popular and really he's built his whole ministry around his, his pulpit ministry and people love it and so again just to come back to this previous point i think it's a huge mis- misconception that people don't want theology uh, i right. think i they do, do i just think I we're
0: do, we're doing it poorly i do too and and impatiently you know, John Piper he didn't get to where he is you know in the last 10 years. Um, you know he, his popularity of course has grown but he his and, and I don't know his whole story I know a little bit about, about his background but you know you think of people uh, who are known for their pulpit ministry it doesn't happen overnight and and we have to give ourselves permission to just stick to it and be faithful. To to Scripture, be faithful in our place of study. Be faithful in our delivery. Be intentional as pastors to to allow uh, the truths of Scripture to uh, flow through us to shape us. First, uh, I think the way Van Hooser puts it is: we are to be people who who uh, seek, speak, and show the truth of God, and mm-hmm. and that's what uh, of of. Of all of the people within the local congregation, we are the ones who are supposed to be to exemplify as the shepherds. We're to exemplify the truth of God, and uh, that that's part of what it means to be a pastor theologian. Mm-hmm. So Scripture never allows
1: us to separate doctrine and instruction from godliness. You know, uh, Van, you mentioned Van Hooser. He talks about deploying doctrine for godliness, and we we read about doctrine that accords with godliness. So you know, here's a practical question if someone sits under our pulpit ministry for 15 years, what are they going to know? And I think that answer is, is pretty embarrassing sometimes. So, uh, you know, in, in Bible college, I heard dozens of times people saying things like, you know, Bible college is a place where you can learn why you believe what you believe. And I'm thinking, I thought that was the church. I mean, what is it? What is a pastor even doing? And so it could come back to Wesley. Um, because because even though we don't see a lot of great examples, I think in contemporary Wesleyanism, there are plenty there are plenty of examples in our history and wesley wesley of course is a great one to start with. He gives plenty of arguments he's very systematic he if you sat under Wesley's preaching for fifteen years you're gonna you're gonna know the whole council of god you're you're gonna get you know the major doctrines and so again, we, if we don't learn and expand our knowledge and, and uh, illuminate areas of our understanding that maybe aren't, aren't, very, aren't very well illumined, it's very likely that our people are going to have massive holes in, in their theology. And what they do know, they're, they're mostly going to know because you told them that's what they believe, but not necessarily why. So a pastor ought to be modeling How to do theology? They ought to be modeling how to think through questions. And Dr. Cooley uh, is one of my mentors. He he said something like, you know, if someone sits under under your pulpit, they not only not they they not excuse me, they should not only know what to think, but they should actually know how to think. And and sometimes good thinking is better caught than taught. And so we are supposed to be a model of thoughtful, systematic, careful thinking about God. And, and if you think that's dry, again, we got to go back to guys like Wesley in the past and today, people whose pulpit ministries are thriving that are, that are everything but dry.
0: It is theology on fire, uh, as it as yeah. says. Right, right, right. And And one of the reasons that a pastor needs prolonged time in the study each week is because it's not so difficult there are a lot of places a lot of resources today where you can go and you can you can find you know a good exposition of uh, you know, say you want to preach a, a a series a topical series through say the apostles creed mm-hmm you want to you want to feed your people doctrinally some rich doctrine, and uh, by the way, that's a good good thing to do. Preach through the the Apostles' Creed, a, a summary of of right. Christian theology from Scripture, and you know there are a lot of resources you can do. Where where our study really has to to focus not only in our understanding of of you know line by line through that, but then we have to persevere in the place of study long enough then to apply that and say, okay, this is why we believe this, You or here's what we believe. Now, this is why it's so important for our life as we go out from our corporate uh, worship gathering. And this is what this looks like out in our daily lives. This is what it looks like to, to live out that we believe in one God. Uh, this is what it means to to live out as a community what our affirmation of the triune Godhead and, and so on and so forth. So, uh, you know, it takes time to work out in our own minds, those applications, but that's again, what, so a pastoral theologian, you know, a pastor theologian is a practical theologian. Now we are the ones that make sure that whoever says they're practicing theology uh, is doing so grounded in the church in the community, uh, and, and so you know a pastor. I think you mentioned this again off air uh, earlier. You said something about you know theologians you know, or theologizing. That that's what that's a a pastoral task. If you're theologizing, uh, at least if you're a Christian theologian, then you're you're doing part of what it means to be a pastor. And and I think that's true uh, that uh, we we. Uh, the, the theologizing isn't just, you know, bringing up you know old dead people and, <laughs> and reciting what they said. It is this is why it matters to us who are alive today. Yeah, uh, this is what it means in what we actually face day in and day out. Yeah, and that brings us kind of back to the beginning when we were giving some some examples
1: of ways in which we do this. I just think of a conversation that I had uh, not long ago with somebody at Burger King and we're sitting there and they're asking me about modesty and about, you know, some, some, uh, the, the ladies in their family that they're, they're trying to convince them to, to dress a little more modestly to go to church. Cause they're kind of embarrassed by the way they're dressing. And they, they ask the question like, you know, how do I, how do I talk to them about this? And why does it, why is this, this so important? I kind of know that we ought to dress modestly, but why? So, my, my response was was very much theological. And so when I say that theologizing is pastoring, it's not like in the study I theologize and then hopefully that kind of bleeds over and helps me do the real work of pastoring. Actually, like right there at Burger King, I am. How am I going to respond to this question? How am I going to pastor this person in this issue of modesty? I'm going to give them a biblical theology of modesty. So we started in Genesis with how you know man sins and they try to cover the shame of their sin with fig leaves, and that's not a sufficient covering. And God provides the covering for them. And and this is pointing us to Jesus, the innocent lamb that's slain to cover us, and how clothing is a signpost to the glory of God. And man, he was all fired up. He's like, I want to go home and read my Bible. And, And it's like... This is this is an example where I see like I don't think that That these are two different things. I think that when I was theologizing in that moment, I was pastoring and I've struggled to express and articulate this sometimes, but, but I just, I hate the dichotomy that's created. And even even saying that you are a, a, a pastor theologian, it's like, well, like a pastor is a theologian in some ways that that that's in some ways it's an artificial distinction. And sometimes in some ways it's a necessary one, but my, my passion is just to help Pastors come into that identity where they think that everything I do as a shepherd, guiding, feeding, comforting, is by its very nature, theologizing or
0: theological. Right, right. And I think the example there you gave with uh, their Burger King uh, is a great opportunity to give a biblical theology. I think you use that term, a biblical theology of modesty. And wow, ju- and just that issue touches – on a really large spectrum of theological issues, right? Mm -hmm. So it it touches on, on what it means to be made in the image of God. It it touches on the effect of sin and guilt. It touches on the atonement, that clothing, our our clothing being properly clothed is a testament to (laughs) the atonement. That's right. right. It is God giving us a, a visible, Picture of what's going to be happening in Christ uh, there. for Adam and Eve by being clothed, by being covered, by 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 a sacrifice, by by death entering into the world, and uh, through death, then them being covered. Uh, there's there's a lot of richness. And here's the thing: if we want, if we are really concerned about something like modesty, and by the way, we ought to be. Yes, right. We need we need as pastors, we need to be concerned in our in our Churches, we need to be preaching about mo- modesty because it is it is an opportunity to, to to really address a very important cultural issue from a deeply biblical and theological uh, uh, framework. Yes, and, and honestly, you know, to, to that's one example. Sabbath would be another example, another topic. That is ripe for some some deeper theological reflection. Uh, th- there are probably other other uh, topics that come to mind as well. But these are, are issues that need to be addressed from the perspective of Christian doctrine. Right. And and yes, that doctrine takes in consideration tradition. That's tradition with a big T. That's long tradition. Uh, yes, it should. Uh, but we we can begin with what God Himself reveals. As true, and that really, really grounds. And by the way, as I've done that here, uh, especially with our high schoolers, our teenagers, our older teenagers, uh, they they really latch on to that theological rationale. Yeah, Uh, they really. You can see it in their eyes. I hear it in their conversation, where they are making the connections and they're realizing that they're convinced. They're convinced. That uh, immodesty is a serious issue that they that they cannot allow themselves to be immodest, lest they uh, lest they live crossway to uh, what they believe about Christ and about uh, sin and about atonement. That's it. That that's
1: it. You know, I want people to walk away from a conversation like that about an issue like modesty, not thinking about. The, the standards of a particular faith tradition, first and foremost, or about me or about John Wesley or about what we've always done or even about our culture and how bad it is. But first and foremost about Jesus so that they think clothing is about Christ because it is, you know? And so if we start, if we start there and then that actually creates a very healthy context for discussing the particulars. But when we jump to the particulars, We may be able to get some people to conform, but are they actually – modest? And are they by, you know, by biblical standard, because if, if they're they're this is emerging from a heart that isn't, isn't, um, reflective of an understanding of the gospel and a love for what Jesus and Christ, what Christ has done for us. If it's motivated by other concerns, is this really true modesty? So no matter what issue we, we come at it, we're going to need to be theologically equipped to walk people through these things and bring them back to Christ. So Sabbath just really quickly here, you know, think about th- this is a great issue because we live in a very restless culture, a very tired culture. And so when people talk to you about how tired they are, I, this is something I'll be, I'll be thinking about after we get off this podcast. What an incredible opportunity to say, you know what, you know, we live in a very restless culture, but you know, that God has given us a day of rest and given us permission to rest. And do you know that actually this is supposed to shape us as a, pe- a Sabbath people Sabbath is a way of life. And all of it points to the Sabbath rest that God has provided for us in jesus you know hebrews 4 so so what incredible opportunities to to bridge from the cultural issues that people are facing to jesus and the gospel to give a theologically robust christ-centered beautiful response um, that is gonna i think bring great health
0: to the church oh i believe too and and to make a connection with the sabbath uh that that topic with our, our previous podcast on on heaven you know what a beautiful way to encourage and enable people to have that eager anticipation, that happy anticipation of heaven, mm-hmm. our eternal rest, right? Right. And by by teaching them how to enjoy that now, uh, to to be purposeful in observing, uh, you know God's God's gift to us, uh, taking that as a gift and enjoying it, and doing so. Because we are people who live with hope, hmm. and again, that's a, there's that's a theological reason. there's our there's our, that's practical theology right there. we 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 know why we do what we're doing, uh, not just why we believe what we're believing. Uh, but but doing and believing uh, is is a connection that pastor theologians uh, have to make uh, help people make for their own life. Yeah, yeah, and isn't that that's
1: really what we've been trying to do with Holy Joys? It's robust theology for a holy, happy church. Um, You know, Fred Sanders quotes this Lutheran theologian who said, "It's not enough to be a church-based theologian; you have to be a church basement theologian. You have to understand what doctrine is for. It's not for theologians; it's for churches." And so we love theology. We are dead serious about theology because we love God and we love the church, and we're serious about the church and uh, just believe that that. Uh, the the fuller and richer and more Christ-centered and gospel-centered our theology can be, uh, the more health and maturity it can potentially bring to God's people. Thank you for listening to the Holy Joys podcast. Email your questions about theology and ministry practice to podcast at holyjoys.org. Our labors for a holy, happy church are supported by generous listeners like you. Please pray about partnering with us
0: at holyjoys.org forward slash donate.